Hey, Road to Life, we love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. We're here with Pastor Mike Shepline, and we're going to hear the message from Sunday where you can be inspired through the Word of God and maybe even a funny story. For more information, visit RoadToLifeChurch.com, and we'll see you next week. teach on something and actually Micah said something about a couple weeks ago but um and it's it's really a build-up into next week but the title of it is God of the Reset God of the Reset you know there are times that um, that we know that we need a reset in our life and we seek God you know maybe when you came to the Lord things were just not going you needed a fresh start there's times if you're here and you're married if you've been married for any length of time, you know that there's reset times that you stop and say, I need to grow here. I need to grow. God, I need you to help me because maybe I'm seeing this or I'm seeing that. And there's times that we know that we need a reset. Sometimes friendships have a reset. Sometimes things that we're doing, they have a reset in our life. And then there are times that we're fine and we're comfortable with how it is, but God sets us up for a reset because he sees that the outcome of our current course, that if we stay on that course, it is going to be detrimental to our life long term. How many of you know what I'm saying? And so he sets us up for a reset. And it's not when I'm not going to categorize and say that all resets fall into this category, but to generally speak, there are also times that reset is forced upon us and we didn't see it coming. We didn't see it coming and that could be because we weren't open to it. Anybody could have predicted it, it, or it was just kind of came out of nowhere. And we have this, this attitude in our heart, like, Oh God, is this a reset? I sure hope not. How many of you know what I'm saying? And, and then in, and then possibly, and I've seen this as well, is sometimes in our life is the enemy attacks our life and we go through a reset in a difficult spot and a hard thing in our life. But God's influence in my reset in those times is directly linked to the direction of my heart and my attitude while I'm going through the reset. If I keep my attitude right and my heart right is God's influence is directly connected to that. You know, we can rest assured that in every reset time in our life that God knew about it, that he's with us, that he'll lead us, that he'll lead us and he'll use it for our certain good, not maybe good, but our certain good in in our life. Every lasting healthy season in our life usually comes out of a time of reset. It comes out of uh, some things getting shaken up a little bit. And you know, if I stop and think about it is I would venture to say that probably a lot of us sitting in the room right now, when you came into a relationship with the Lord, some things were going on in your life that you needed a reset from. How many of you are with me? And, and it was it just, it was a challenging time in your life. And, and I think what it is is sometimes turning the page in an area or stepping into a new season is due to a reset. Reset times define 
our next season. And in some cases, they define the rest of our life. I think all of us have seen people or either family members or friends that went through a reset time in their life and it, it impacted the rest of their life, either for positive or negative, based on the way that they handled it. Reset occurs when we're in one place or one season and we're getting ready to go in to another one. Sometimes it's positive. There's other times it's negative. Relational resets. And it's a change or a different way of doing things that requires me to make intentional adjustments in challenging times in my life, where I have to be very, very intentional about it. You know, when I was about 13 or 14. And for you that know me, you knew that our family, we have 16 kids in our family. I think we have everybody beat in here. Someone came to, we were, I was chatting with somebody before the service and they're on their fourth. And I know that some of you, the Sabisma, some of you guys are like, you're going to like 18. You're trying to beat me. I get it. Okay. But, um, but we had a lot of kids and we could just pick up and play foot, a football game, basketball game. We could do anything because we had enough of us. And then when the neighborhood kids would get involved, you know, and we were playing street football outside, and I don't recommend this, but um, I was pretty much raised barefoot. Not because my parents couldn't afford shoes, but we lived in Southern California, and I would prefer when I was out of school to be barefoot. How many of you can relate to me? So we had lots of stubbed toes. We had lots of that kind of stuff. But you know this, my feet were tough. Okay, I could walk on fire coals and it wouldn't because they were just callous, they were tough. Well, we were playing street football and one of the dads in the neighborhood decided he wanted to play with us and so he was covering me. And, you know, back then, I think he was 40 or 45 and I thought, that old dude, I will smoke him. How many of you know what I'm saying? And, but there, he was a foot taller than I was. And so I, I pretty much went up and said, look, I can out-juke this guy. You just need to, this is where I'm going to be. And so I took off, out-juked him, jumped up because he was taller. And when I came down, I came down on the side of my foot. And he came down on top of my foot, on the side of my foot. And when he did, I heard my foot pop. It just popped. And I immediately fell to the curb, crawled over in the grass, and I was like, oh, you know what I'm saying? And he was, I'm sorry, you know, and whatever, whatever. And, and the way that our family was raised, you know, you really didn't go to the doctor unless the bleeding wouldn't stop. How many of you know what I'm saying? And so I hobbled home and told my mom, and she was, you know, the normal reaction was, hey, just rest on the couch. We'll put some ice on it, and it'll be okay. And so I did that, and for a few days, I was hobbling, hobbling about a week, and then it started feeling a little bit better. And so I would kind of, I would still have a little bit of a limp, but it would feel a little bit better. And then what happened is, is that about three or four weeks, I felt like I was doing pretty good, and so I skateboarded a lot. And when I went to take off on my skateboard, I could hear it pop again, pop. And it started all over again. And it was like, oh, you know, that happened two or three times. And then I was in the doctor for something else <laughs> later, like a year later. And, and we are part of this thing called FHP, Family Health Plan. It costs $2 to go to the doctor. 
It was like, oh, how many of you wish those days were back? <laughs> it was two bucks. You give them two bucks and your parents paid insurance and, 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 um, and I was in for something else. And he said, is there anything else? No, I said, hey, I hurt my foot about a year and a half ago. And I was wondering if you could tell, you know, maybe just take, he took an x-ray and he said, your foot was broke. That's what he said. Your foot was broke, but it's healed now. And it's got a little knot there. And, um, and what I noticed is this, is that um, I was huge into any type of water sports in the ocean. Body surfing, bodyboarding, surfing, kneeboarding, belly, anything like that. Well, several of them required fins on my feet. And so you would go in the ocean and you would have to kick really, really hard. And what I noticed is after about 10 minutes, that foot would throb. It would abs, and I'd be like dragging it because it would throb. And what had happened is, is it didn't get reset. And so in certain environments, it would pain me. It would hurt. And then after I got married, my wife is like, oh, I love rollerblading. How many of you know rollerblading thrashes it? She says, I love ice skating. I'm like, Ugh. so I would try, but after about 10 minutes, I'm like, I am sitting down. How many of you know what I'm saying? And what happens is in our life is that when we need a reset, if we do not allow the Lord to work with us through the reset, it can affect us long-term. And God is saying, I need you to work with me through this reset. You know, I believe right now in America, we're in a reset time. We've been through COVID. How many of you are ready for COVID to be done? We've been through a lot of racial unrest. We've been through a lot of political unrest. We've been through just a ton of stuff. And let me just tell you, we need a reset. How many of you are with me on that? We, we need a reset. Things have happened. We've picked up some things in our life. Some of them are positive. COVID in regard to um, relationships, people quarantined, people locked down. And, and I heard this from a lot of families that, you know, before the, the husband maybe or, or the wife was working, you know, 50, 60 hours a week, and they weren't having any time with their family. And then COVID, it's like, oh my gosh, we've reconnected with our family and it's just really, really good. And it's so much better. And that is a huge positive. But then, but then relationally, COVID has been a very negative thing outside of families. We've lived isolated. And let me just, in case you didn't know this, social media does not replace relationships. I'm glad eight of you agree. I said social media. I have been around people that were in COVID that can't, don't even know how to talk to people anymore. They're all into these, uh, the, this conspiracy and that conspiracy and all this stuff, and they can't even. And, and I believe that God is calling us to a reset in our life. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. Elijah, and we're going to look at him in what is a reset time. The way he has been doing things is about to change, and God is initiating the change. Before this, and if you have your Bible, I, they'll put it up on the screen or your paper or electronic Bible. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 17. Before 1 Kings 17, we have no record of God ever speaking to Elijah. This is the 
first time that he comes on the scene. And so this is his first appearance in the Bible. And I want to read in 1 Kings 17. We're actually going to read all the way through verse 16, but we're going to unpack some verses as we go. It says, now Elijah the Tishbite. Everybody say Tishbite. You know, I'm German. I'm not a Tishbite. How many of you know what I'm saying? It's, it, if you look up the word Tishbite, what it means is it means to be in captivity. That's what it means. It says, now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead. If you look up Gilead, what Gilead is, is it is a rocky or a stony place. Is That's what it is. So Elijah, who is a captive in a rocky and a stony place, all of a sudden appears and he says to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall neither dew nor rain. Now look at this statement, these years except by my word. What I want you to notice is he is in a place of captivity in a rocky and in a stony place. He comes out of nowhere and he prophesies a drought to this king by the name of King Ahab, who's the king of Israel. And just to give you a track on Ahab, Ahab is the most wicked king that Israel has ever had up to this point. And I, and it's not just because I said it, it's because the Bible said it. I want you to back up in, in in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30, it says this. It says, Ahab, the son of Omri, um, redid evil in the sight of the Lord more than all the kings who were before him. It came about as if it had been a trivial thing for Ahab to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nathan. Jeroboam is the king who introduced idol worship to Israel. And so he says, basically, you go back like six generations, and it says that he was he walked in the sins of him. And it says, if that's not enough, and it says that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians and went and served Baal and worshiped him. Now, if you look up Jezebel, what you find now, how many of you know, don't name your kid Jezebel. Okay, just don't, that's not one of those that, you know, oh yeah, we love the Lord, this is Jezebel. How many of you know what I'm saying? Don't name your kid Jezebel. But if you study Jezebel, what you find out about him is that Jezebel was the chief priestess and this is a fact of cult Baal worship, which dominated the city of Tyre. She wasn't just a priest. She was the chief priest of Baal worship in this city called Tyre. Look at what it says in verse 32. So he erected an altar to Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made the Astroth. Aber did Aber. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, than all the kings of Israel who were before him. This is the guy that Elijah appears out of nowhere and basically declares to him. He says, you know, as, as the God of Israel lives, whom I serve and before whom I stand, that it is not going to rain and there isn't going to be dew for years. Now, let's just stop for a moment. How many of you know that took guts? 
You don't, you don't know anything about Ahab. First thing you hear of, this guy shows up, gets up in Ahab, who's the most wicked king, who's married to a woman who is the high priest of Baal cult worship, and stands up and declares to them and basically says, hey, it is not going to rain. Now look at what it says in verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him saying, go from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan River. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to stain you with food. Verse 5. So he went and did in accordance with the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. What does that sound like to you? Bread and meat. Does that sound like a sausage egg McMuffin? How many of you know what I'm saying? It's, he, he basically brought him, it says bread and it says, and meat in the morning. Let me figure out where I was. <laughs> Verse six, thank you, baby. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he would drink from the brook. Now, that took something for him to stand up to Ahab. Would you agree? And the next thing God says is he said, I want you to go and hide. That's what, if you look up this word, hide, go to Ahab, prophesy a drought, and then get out of Dodge and hide, and I'm gonna take care of you. If you look up this word hide, it literally means to hide yourself, to conceal yourself, and to hide carefully so nobody knows where you're at. And so if you think about this, it took incredible courage and God now is blessing him for following. We know this, if you continue to read 1 Kings, that this drought lasted for three years. It was three years long. This went on, he is being fed by the ravens in the morning and the evening and he is getting water from the brook from between one and a half to two years he stayed in this spot. How many of you know that, that there's a temptation there? Everybody else is in drought. Everybody else is starving. Nobody has water, but Elijah is at a brook and every day birds are showing up and feeding him twice a day and he's getting water. Life for a year and a half to two years. How many of you know life is pretty comfortable? How many of you would like to stay along a river and have somebody feed you and take care of you for the next year and a half and you have have no needs whatsoever. This is what Elijah has been doing. How many, I mean, think about it for a moment. It would be so easy in this place to be passive, would it not? Would it be easy to just get comfortable? Oh my gosh, this is the way that God is. It's been going on for nearly two years. It is his new norm in his life. You know, in America today, we got a new norm because of COVID and God is wanting to reset it. I said, we got a new norm and God is wanting to reset it. Verse seven, it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now, let me just ask you a question. Could God have kept the brook flowing? So who dried the brook up? Who allowed the brook to dry up? Thank you, Micah. Who allowed the brook to dry up? God allowed the brook to dry up. And so he's there, brook dries up. And if you think about it, he followed God 
God blessed him. Now the brook dries up because God wants him to move. This is one of the hardest things I believe on us is that when God begins to initiate a reset, what he does is he sets things up. He sets things up in our life. This is reset time. And I believe that these are the times that God wants us to know him in a deeper dimension than the way that we knew him yesterday. That whenever we go through a reset in our life, God is saying to us, you know what? I turn the light on. Okay, you, you can see that right now. You can see things. And what he's doing is he's wanting to reveal to us himself deeper than we've ever known him before. Up until this point, Elijah only knew him as the provider by the ravens and the brook. That's all he knew him as. Look at what it says in verse, his relationship as seeing God was one dimensional. Verse eight, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now let's just bring this into context for a moment and back up. What we know is where Elijah was raised was a place that is defined as captivity. The next thing we know is he's, uh, he is in Gilead, which is a rocky region. He obeys God, and when he obeys God, God sends him to this brook called Cherith, and there ravens feed him twice a day, and he has all the water he needs. Now God speaks to him and says to him, a widow in Zarephath. If you look up Zarephath, it is a town that is on the Mediterranean Sea. It's on the ocean. I mean, think about it for a moment. I believe he thought, oh my gosh, God, you're sending me to a rich widow's house with a beachfront home. How many of you are with me on that? Oh God, you're transitioning me from that to I am getting ready and I am going to be in a home on the Mediterranean Sea. And so when I get there, there is going to be a rich widow that is going to take care of me. How many of you know what I'm saying? Would you have thought that? I would have thought that. Would you, I would have thought, okay, I'm looking for the rich widow. Now look at what it says in verse 10. So he set out and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks for firewood. He called out to her and said, please bring me a little water in your jar so I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called out to her again. Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord, your God lives, I've got a beachfront condo just waiting for you. My servants have already got all of, if you're a vegetarian, we've got vegetarian meals. If you like seafood, they'll cook you seafood meals. If you're, if you're a, a, a person that you are just a meat eater, we've got meat. It is pampered. It is great. And she rolls up on her gold studded chariot with everybody around blowing trumpets, Elijah is here. We've got his house. Is that what happened? Look at what it said. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in the jar. See, I'm gathering these sticks so that I may go and bake it for me and my son and that we may eat it as our last meal and die. Now, I'm just going to be super honest. If you were Elijah, 
would you say wrong widow? How many of you know what I'm saying? <laughs> be honest. <laughs> You'd just be like, sorry, wrong widow. You're the wrong widow. But look at what it says. Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. Just make me a little bread from it first and bring it out to me. And afterwards, you may make one for yourself and for your son. Notice the statement, number one, do not fear. Number two is put God first where you're at. Put him first right now in the situation. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall your jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain again on the face of the earth. She went and did as Elijah said, and she and her, she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty in accordance with the word of the Lord, which, which he spoke through Elijah. Notice this, is that this is a time of transition. Elijah was previously ministered through by the Lord, but now God sends him to minister to somebody else who is also in a reset time in their life. He was sent for someone else that needed it. See, provision was still there. It just looked different than he thought. This was a new set point or a reset, not only in his life, but in her life. What would have happened if Elijah only had a brook and raven provision mentality? What would have happened? And I think we do this today. Oh no, this is the way God does it. This is the way he's gonna do it. This is the way he's always doing it. And God is saying, no, I'm not doing that. This is what I'm doing and I need you to follow me. I'm gonna cause you to go through a reset that you need, that you need. This is number one, is resets are part of life, so don't fear or run from them. They're part of life. They are part of life. The first thing Elijah said to this girl is, he said, don't fear. Don't let fear govern your decisions. God wants to reveal himself as bigger in my life than maybe where I was or maybe what I've been through. He wants to reveal himself as bigger. God is bigger than one season. God is bigger than one experience. God is bigger than your brain can get and understand. He is bigger. In reset times, fear, what it does is it tries to be first in our thoughts, in our expectations, and in our views. And God calls us to stand up and to say, I am not going to be motivated by fear. I am not going to let fear dictate my actions. I am not going to let fear be the Lord of my life. Christianity is not going to be a bumper sticker on my car. It is going to be a declaration out of my heart that God is faithful, that God is good. See, in reset times, what fear does is it comes up to the top. Confronting fears with trust will always be part 
part of living in God's best. It will always be part. Some of us right now in this reset time, God is saying, I need you to declare to your fears who I am, what I've promised to do, and not back away from it. Is that in, in that God calls us to do Notice the first words to the widow was don't fear. Number two is this, is reset times test who's first in my life functionally. I didn't say what I declare, but functionally in my life. He said, don't fear, do what God said first. Not just a statement, but it's a way of functioning. The way that we confront fear with faith is we functionally do something that says, God, you are first in my life. Notice Elijah, God, you're first functionally. And so he left that place. Notice this widow, God, you're first functionally. And so she said, God, I'm going to put you first right here. Elijah has been ravens in water when God is beginning to feed him something different in a different way. Provision looks different. Don't get stuck on what God did yesterday. He's a God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And what he wants us to do is to trust him. God expects us to confront fear with faith, not just talk about it, but really put him first when fear knocks at the door. Where we just say, God, when it knocks at the door, God, I trust you first in my life. Don't get stuck on how God did it yesterday. Don't get stuck. You know, I get around some people like, well, the good old days. No, the good days are ahead of us. They're not behind us. I'm going to say it again. Your best days are ahead of you. They're not behind you. What I want you to notice about Elijah is, is he stood up in courage and did what God asked him, and then God blessed him beyond his wildest dreams. Well, I believe it was because one of Elijah's first experiences, and God will carry us when we're young, but he expects us to stand up as we get older. He expects us to stand up because he's proven himself. Number three is this, being teachable and willing to adjust is huge all the time, but especially in reset times in our life. See, Elijah could have got set in his ways and had a mindset. Well, I just served the God of sausage egg McMuffins delivered by a raven. How many? I just, that's a God I serve. That's just, that's the way I see it. This widow could have gotten hard hearted because of hardship. Look at her outlook. Her outlook was we're going to eat it and die. But then she stopped. They both had to be teachable and willing to look at the way they were living and adjust in order to make room for what God was doing. And I wonder today in this reset time, if God's challenging us in the way that we've been living and wanting to see if we're willing to make an adjustment to the way that we've been living or functioning in our life. I've noticed this, that sometimes God has to dry something up to get us to move because we're creatures of comfort. We're creatures of comfort. Sometimes, and this is four, and I don't have time to finish, but I'm just going to say this. Number four is this. They're going to throw it up on the screen. Is in a reset, we're going to have to do things that we don't feel like doing. You're going to have to. Do you think Elijah felt like getting up from the brook and heading 
to the, and then when she said, I, I got a couple sticks, a handful of meal and a cup of oil, and then we're going to die. Do you think he felt like, do you think she felt like, no, God comes into our life and he says, in a time of reset, I'm going to challenge what you feel like doing with resetting your heart and resetting your life on what you need to do. What's the right thing to do? You know, I think in our life sometimes that what God does is when you talk about reset is every one of us is it's part of life. Resets are part of life. I remember me and my wife, it was like, and I know, I mean, having kids, the first kid was a reset. How many of you that have kids, before you had kids, it was like, oh, we just do whatever we want. We can just go. We can just get up. Then you have a kid. It's like lockdown. How many of you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, they dropped their pacifier on the floor. Get the hand sanitizer by the third kid. You're like, pick it up and stick it in your mouth. How many of you know what I'm, how many, how many, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we laugh. You know, our first kid, we were kind of like this, and we, we would go to the beach in Southern California, and Josh loved to eat sand. He just loved to eat sand. He would eat sand. You say, how do you know he ate sand? Because when you changed his diaper, you found it all. How many of you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it was like, he's eating sand. I'm like, you know, that will clean him out. How many of you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but in our lives, God wants to teach us how to have resets and make room for him and put him first in our life. Right now, I believe in America. One of the, God is reaching out and he's calling America to a reset. He's calling Christians to a reset. That's what he's doing. He's calling the church to a reset. He's saying it's time to come out of fear. It's time to come out of all of that stuff that is going on. You know, next week, we're going to be, um, we're excited. We're going to have a picnic over um, at Gene Clock Park. How many of you know Gene Clock's a great place to have a picnic? We're going to have a picnic, and the church is going to have pigging and grinning. How many of you like pigging and grinning? Church, and then you'll see the list of what you can bring, and there's going to be a baptism and stuff like that. But equally next Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about what we're going to call next season Sunday. God, this is what God's saying for the next season. Some initiatives, some targets, some things that we're saying, okay, God, this is a, you're calling the church to a reset. What are you calling us to reset to? And it's going to be next season Sunday. And we're going to get very, very specific. But I believe that each and every one of us right now in our life is God is calling you to a reset. He's calling you to reset. Maybe right now could be just simply coming out of COVID. He's calling you to rededicate, to recommit, and to lock in. Could be a reset in regard to, you know, this didn't go the way I thought, and I didn't think it was. Let me just tell you, neither did it with Elijah, but God was still in it and leading it. Some of us right now, you're saying this didn't go. You're focused on the ravens in the brook. And God is saying, excuse me, I have Zarephath. And no, it is not a beachfront condo with a rich widow. How many of you know what I'm saying? Is he comes into our life and he says, can you recognize me? This is what I have noticed is in life, resets are normal. 
I just said it earlier, they're normal. How do I handle resets in my life? Do I get an attitude? Do I go negative? Do I try to hold on? Or do I seek the Lord and not let fear dominate my thoughts? Stand to your feet if you would. 